The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Choices in life can lead us down many paths, paths which may seem tougher than can be endured. But how can we know that the choice is our own, or what lies at the path's end? My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and felled tree, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. Tonight's symposium covers the 1977 suspense drama Sorcerer, a remake of French classic The Wages of Fear, directed by William Friedkin and starring Roy Scheider. My guest is Ed Bloomer, and you find us at the heart of a sweltering digital jungle. Hello, Ed. Hello. How's it going? It's going okay. Um, how are you managing in lockdown? Uh, well, I'm I'm watching a lot of TV. Oh, but are you? That's watching... that's that's good for uh, reviewing, but right? That's pretty good. But are you watching enough films? Oh, films. Sorry, yes, of course. Um, Actually, probably probably not that many more than usual. Oh. I, do f- I do find myself finding it hard to concentrate on, um, you know, a, a, a big chunk uh, of, of stuff like uh, like a film. But um, but yeah, actually, probably even then, probably still quite an elevated rate mm. of uh, consumption. Well, at times like this, where we're pretty much confined to our homes, or at least we're supposed to be, um, it's sometimes nice to watch films about escape and about foreign travel and think, <laughs> thinking thinking about all the things we can do when the crisis is over and we're free to go about our business uh, rob churches and uh, assassinate people for no reason in Mexico so with that in mind what did you think of William Friedkin's Sorcerer I actually really liked it I I think there's some oddities to it um uh, Pacing, I think, is is one of them, but um, yeah, I, I sort of when I when I when I rented it because I, I rented it and I thought, well, I'll, I'll watch a bit of it now, um, and then I've got some stuff to do and I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, but I ended up basically watching it in one sitting, which I know is not exactly a boast, but I mean, like I had not planned to do that, and it did hold my attention, and I did watch it all the way through. Um, yeah, I thought I thought some of it was really interesting. And uh, I'd never heard of it, um, you know, n- nothing at all about it. Um, so going into it completely fresh, I, I thought it was an interesting film. Well, it, uh, it has an unusual background. It's based on the French novel The Wages of Fear by mm-hmm. Georges Arnaud, which had previously been adapted in 1953 by Henri-Georges Clouseau uh, as a French-Italian blockbuster, a major hit at the time. I believe it was submitted at the Oscars as a foreign language nominee and was widely regarded as a classic so for William Friedkin to come in um, and decide that he was going to do a remake or as he put it a new adaptation of the book was felt by some to be sacrilege Um, Friedkin's background was that he'd started out working in documentaries but had sort of got in sideways to making um, feature films and his 
breakthrough, of course, was the French Connection in 1971, which gave a, a sense of grit and realism that had been missing from cop movies in the past, even in the, the start of New Hollywood. He followed that up with The Exorcist, which I think is still to this day the highest grossing horror film of all time, and was the first serious, critically acclaimed horror movie. So with all this commercial and critical success, he plunges his way into making Sorcerer, and the resulting film was a critical and commercial disaster. Yes, Yes, and it was, if I'm right, it was intended as, you know, not not exactly a big project to begin with. It spiralled, but it was, you know, going to be a smaller project before he really found the next big, big thing to do. But in fact, it ended up taking a huge amount of time and it sucked in more and more money and, um, you know, became progressively more difficult to actually get out the door Um yeah, yeah. It, it, shades of sort of apocalypse now, a bit, uh, in that sense, or at least the production uh, sense of it. Very much so. I mean, it's it, it had very rough reviews. It, its box office growth worldwide was less than half its budget. And um, it had the misfortune of coming out almost simultaneously with Star Wars. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's got to be the, the killer blow, right? Um you would think actually definitely not the same kind of audience. Um, no, I'm thinking if you back at, back at that point, if you were say an analyst of some sort, you would be maybe sitting there thinking, well, it's fine, we're not going to share, uh, you know, audiences. But because Star Wars was such a game changing blockbuster mm. and seems to appeal to absolutely everybody, uh, yeah, that's a real that's a real. Um, I mean, it's a misfortune. It was a sign of the times that serious adult dramas were regarded as being highly commercial. The Godfather, which is a slow three-hour film, was for a while the highest-grossing film of all time. Right. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's definitely if you compare it to what we think of as a blockbuster. Let's say even a summer blockbuster or a Christmas blockbuster. Yeah. Um, they will invariably be, uh, you know, PG or PG thirteen. Um, depending on how, what terminology so, you yeah, want. Yes, something, something family-friendly, um, he- a heroes and villains story. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas this is morally much muddier and greyer. It's quite small and tight in its focus. But also... It, it's very I mean, downbeat. That's true. But it also, you know, it doesn't really have anything... You, you know, it, it doesn't have you know, um, children in it. It doesn't have um, sort of multi-generation to, to, to too much of an extent. I mean, it's about adults doing adulty things, starting adults, and, you know, it's it, it's contained in that sense, which is, mm. which is again, just in a commercial sense, it's not the kind of film you would make if you were trying to make a blockbuster now. No. You'd ha- you would have something that you could take your kids to and had a bit of adult escapism, and was again sort of family friendly enough that it wouldn't startle anyone uh, so much. And again, you'd be you know if you're a studio executive, you're hoping for you know a, a billion dollars worth of profit for some of these things. You know, the, you get these things where people are really disappointed by the the the, the results of X, Y, and Z because it only made 
you know, five hundred million dollars above its cost. Mm. You think, wow, that's uh, I'd well, be all right with that. <laughs> well, it comes from a, a, a school of thought that the French Connection and the Exorcist were blockbusters because those were big hits mm. and they were critically highly acclaimed. And um, there is a whole skein of uh, 70s thrillers which are serious and adult in tone, but were big hits. I mean, one that springs to mind is The Taking of Pelham 123. Right, okay. Which is a, 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 host, a serious hostage thriller set in the New York subway, mm. which posits Walter Matthau as an action hero. And only in the 70s would that have been credible. Well, I, I mean, that is definitely one of the things I like about this um, era, and, and you see it in Sorcerer as well. Uh, it's it's not to say that these aren't still Hollywood stars, but there is a bit more variety in the way that people look, or they you know they look. I'm not saying that they look normal as such, you know. Because, but I mean they have looks, strong looks to them. A lot of these actors, but it seems a bit more varied, and it's not glossy in the same way that we expect or are presented with lots of casts these days. No. So I, I actually like that because, again, you're talking about quite a small scale. Nobody saves the world or anything. And even you know, with the trappings of the fact that they are dealing with explosives and things like that, which you know, I'm sure we'll get to all this, mm. but that's it. I mean, they have a job that is to the benefit of um, an oil company in a South American country and involves a couple of people and... You know, even even though they're sort of fighting for their lives, if you like, that's very very small. Once you zoom out, it's of no importance to anybody else, pretty much. But I like that. That's what I'm saying. I think that's that's really interesting. To have a thing where you really identify or or you feel for a particular situation. Mm. But it's not because aliens are about to blow up the earth or anything like that. It's it's just this one struggle of four men against the elements and against yeah. Yeah. Against and, and I'm someone that likes a film, you know, where aliens are threatening to blow up the earth and we have to stop. Oh them. yeah, I like that. But I, I also like the fact that this is just—it's just what it is. That that there is there is room in film appreciation for both this and Avengers Endgame. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, Friedkin was very keen on having a very mixed cast for the film, so obviously he had to have a a, a big leading name. So we have Roy Scheider. Um, he cast uh, Bruno Cremet and Francisco Rabal in their first English language films and the first person who was actually cast on the film was Amidou um, who was a uh, Moroccan French actor um, as as Kassem and um, none of the other major cast is particularly well known so it seems to be going out of its way to reach some kind of cinematic purity. No, we've got to do it for real. We've got to have all these people from real places. We can't have we can't have the biggest star from France. No, we have to have this obscure character actor. I think in some ways it's interesting looking back on it because I don't I don't know really the work of any of the actors really. However, this is, I think, the, the, one of the slight weaknesses, although I don't know how you could solve this because, you know, films get made when they have a star attached and things like that. Um, there's clearly a lead actor and other actors in it. Mm. And that's quite difficult because I, I, 
it lessens the threat level or it le lessens the, the tension that the main guy is going to come through it. Even with, as we'll get to, I'm sure, the, the, the sort of the bit at the end and all that sort of stuff. The, I think that's it, there's just a slight imbalance there. If it had been four, I'm not saying unknowns, but if it had been four... Um, four, four actors of four, equal standing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, because, I, I, I mean, and that, that was um, one of the issues, that, again, you know, when, you, when it starts off and you have these little vignettes of how the actors, or, sorry, how the characters, rather, get, in, get into those situations or, 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 or in the same place at the same time that then drives the, the, the main part of it. Um, again, there's a, there's, the vignettes are sort of balanced in the way that they, they, the, the importance they play in the, the film, let's say, or, or setting things up. But in terms of the stature of the actors, it, it, it's, it's quite a tricky thing. And that's, that's where you know, I, think, I think the pacing is um, difficult because it doesn't resolve that issue. You, it's quite hard to open a film, I think, with four vignettes. And, and not really, you don't really have anybody talk to each other till I think something like about 45 minutes in. And you don't start the, the journey till about an hour into the film. And it's about two hours long or something like that. I didn't mm. keep note of the time exactly, but you, you, that's quite odd in terms of, of pacing. It's not like it's not like the, the the sort of the rules that people like to follow. Of you know, twenty minutes in, you're going to have this happen, and forty minutes in, this will happen, and this will take blah blah blah. And here's where your third act comes. Um, I I did find myself thinking about half an hour into it. I know what this film is supposed to be about because I've read the the blurb and I've read the you know I've seen the trailer, but. When's it happening? Have I rented a strange version of it? Because I don't think there's enough time left to do anything. Well, it's a similar situation in um, in The Wages of Fear that that film is over two and a half hours long and the characters don't set off uh, on their journey until about halfway through. Mm. And that film doesn't even start with vignettes. The early part of that film is all about the characters living in the town. And that... See, it strikes me that that's a more natural way to start it. To, ha to have them be in the town and um, you learn about what, what brought them there. Um, and I, I believe in Europe they did recut the film to have the vignettes as flashbacks. But I can also really? see how that would be confusing. Yes, because I think Freakin had sole uh, control over the US version and the, they weren't allowed to change that. But he hadn't done it for a worldwide release. Oh. So in Europe, I think they cut they cut it up. Um, but 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 I can see problems with 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 both ways of doing. Mm. Um, there were uh, warning disclaimers outside cinemas when it was first released to emphasise that although the first twenty minutes or so were not in English, that it is mostly an English language film. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean. I think uh, <laughs> that is to say, whenever whenever anyone speaks, which is not that often, which is also interesting. Um, I think it's one of those films that if if you're if you're already in the mood and you're going to and you're going to watch it and you're going to sit down, then it's rewarding for that. Um, but it's one of those things that probably wouldn't capture people's imagination, or sorry, wouldn't capture their attention perhaps if they were just flicking through channels. Mm. Well, it because it it's, it starts in a in an awkward way. I mean, to begin with, there were problems with 
um, calling it Sorcerer. Because Friedkin's original preferred title was Ballbreaker. Right, okay. Um, but while he was, um, uh, I think, working on the script or, or developing shot instructions, he was listening to Miles Davis's album, Sorcerer. And he realised that it was the perfect title for the film because it's about the all-powerful sorcerer of fate, as he saw it. Mm. And the, th- the overall theme of the film is these various characters who have all managed to escape death in some way, but find death continually reaching for them. Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, again, I think for those who watch it, and do watch it, you know, all the way through. Will come away with something that's really satisfying, and so the the obscurity or the the fittingness of the the title perhaps uh, isn't an issue there. But I could see from a marketing point of view, that's yeah, it's pretty, a terrible. That's choice. a difficult sell, yeah. Um, and things like the truck sorcerer. I, I mean, that that I thought was a, kind of an interesting way of of filming things where. You know, they don't draw attention to things in the way that is done nowadays. There's lots of stuff where people are just doing the thing that they they have to do, and the audience, of course, get to witness it because it's it's you know it's being filmed and it's edited so that you see the thing. But it's um, it, nobody talks about it. I'm thinking of things like when they're when they're fixing up the trucks. There's a lot of stuff of the you know them checking things and pulling things off and unscrewing stuff but th- there's no uh, there's no jaunty soundtrack to show that oh they're you know slowly but surely it's getting better and you know they're, yeah. they're beginning to bond over it you don't even re- the, the actors don't really even interact in that there's a couple of bits um, where one of them's doing something and then they work with some the other one but it, it it's not like they show these des- disparate characters and then they're they're drawn together by the act of fixing these two trucks up. No, it's, it's, it's not really obviously pointed out that way. It's just like, well, they're, they're the guys that volunteered for this and they know what they're doing and then they fix these trucks and then they're ready to go. But actually, I thought that was really, that was really good because it's not just layered on so thickly. It's, 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 again, it's like it's, here's some adults and they have some expertise and they sort some stuff out and they don't really need to talk about it or lay out loads of exposition of what their motivation is and blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, in reality, people don't usually talk like that. No. None of, you can't imagine any of them sharing the story of how they came to be where they are. No, and, and, and you don't have the kind of, um, and again, kind of big tropes of, of you know, you know they, they, they clash, but they respect each other and that brings them closer. They do maintain this, this idea of they're all doing it because they need something yeah they're all doing it for money it's the money in the citizenship um uh, because they're desperate and that's what drives them to risk their lives not because they like each other not because they even begrudgingly become to like each other just it has to get done and i actually thought that was really good there's no they are in some ways a team um and it's you know but it's not like oh they're also a team that doesn't really get on it's just here's a bunch of adults in a bad situation and they have to plow through it and they're not going to yeah. talk about their feelings at any point really no, yeah, except they, maybe at one point in which you know they, they, they start working together they start working together very well as colleagues and then by 
since the end of each of their stories, they've started to warm to, to each other slightly as people and sort of to relax mm. a little more around each other. But they're still working together well. Yeah. That's, that they never learn to work as a team. They know how to work as a team. They're all professionals. Yes. It's just that they're slightly unbending as, as people. Yes, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not like a coming-of-age story where they learn to access something within themselves. That's the idea. They're, they're a bunch of adults. They're now in a desperate yeah. situation. And they use the skills that they have to sort out the, the problems that they have. And again, they, they sort of begin to work more closely and use the skills of each other to, to you know, propel themselves forward. But mm. nobody discovers a secret power within themselves or, you know, um, or anything like that. Again, uh, refreshing because I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, nowadays uh, blockbusters, or at the moment that is to say blockbusters, are dominated by superhero films and Star Wars and things mm. like that. And they, these tend to all be a thing where someone gets... Uh, discovers something or um, gains some ability and and has to use that or maybe sometimes gets slightly beaten down and has to really believe in themselves to to get through something. You don't really have that here. Again, it's it's a bunch of adults do something. I even thought, um, kind of going on that, the bit where they're trying to blow up the tree, but before they get to that, um, where you've got Roy Scheider... uh, hacking away hopelessly at the the branches and just sort of losing it. I I thought that was really good, not beca- because there's loads of things in films where, you know, to show that the you know, that their end of the rope, the, the character loses it or loses their temperature, punches things in, all that all that's there. But it's it's rare that you see somebody being uh, and again the lead, like being really pathetic. Because it, it, because it, you know, because he's just hacking away and he stumbles and he's in the water and the kind of swampy bit and he's just hacking away at, at different angles and it's, uh, the camera just sort of watches him do this for a bit and it, it it's it is quite ridiculous, because he's just sort of having a breakdown but it's not like he has a breakdown and then really summons up the the courage to go forward he has a breakdown and then uh, Kasim. Uh, Tell, it says, I, "I think, I think, I think I know what to do about this." I just thought that was really interesting to have a, to have a, a a moment where the character's pathetic. Well, as we said, the film starts with uh, four separate vignettes uh, showing how the four main characters came to be in the uh, the backwater town. In Vera Cruz in Mexico, a man walks into a room and shoots another man and then leaves, mm-hmm. and that's it. So, yep. That's a good way to start your film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in Jerusalem, uh, a group of young men sit on a doorstep uh, with their bags down. They get up, but one leaves their bag behind, get on a bus. A few minutes later, there's an explosion, and it turns out that they're terrorists. And there's a, a they try to get to a, a safe house and an escape route, but the army and the police arrive. There's a gunfight. Um, most of the terrorists are killed, one is arrested but one manages to get away um, in France there's a, a, I think quite a longer sequence of a, a French businessman his, his, wife is, his wife is reading a book about the Foreign Legion mm-hmm. which I thought was nicely prefiguring the story about you know, running away to join the Foreign Legion to, to escape your previous life and that kind of thing 
and he is having business problems and um, he tries to beg for money from his father-in-law uh, yeah. to uh, cover a, a, a black hole in his company's financing. But um, his father-in-law says no. You know, you've got you've got twenty-four hours until the um, the uh, the IRS or whoever come in. And he begs his he begs his business partner to make a final plea to his his father-in-law while he goes for lunch with his wife and they meet outside and um the partner says no no he w- he wouldn't have it so they they go their separate ways the partner gets into his car pulls out a gun and shoots himself and nobody hears and nobody hears because it's yeah. the middle it's, just, it's this quiet little chateau so the businessman goes back inside finishes his meal quietly pays the bill excuses himself and then <laughs> leaves the chateau and just runs away but i think that i i think that was brilliant that he get you know you get to the point where right now I just have to run that's the that's it there's no more moves there's just I mean it, it leave in retrospect it reminds me of the episode of Peep Show where um, Mark's at the conference and he has no idea what to do so he just, just climbs out of the window and runs away from the hotel but only, yeah, but only gets as far as the car park yeah I mean it's 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 not played for laughs but it is no quite, um, it's he's he's just totally out of options he has nowhere yeah. else to go yeah. And the last of the four is in uh, New Jersey, where a group of gangsters um, rob the back room of a uh, a church in the middle of a wedding because it's being used to launder money for yeah. a local godfather. And as they, they drive away, uh, not realising that the priest that they've shot is the godfather's brother... Mm-hmm. Um, they drive away, they start bickering over driving and they, they get distracted and they wind up driving into the back of a truck and three of the four are killed and the other one flees again as uh, as the police turn up Yeah, it's I mean, individually they're all quite good although they are I, again, I just keep thinking of you know, if you did it now, how would you do it? and I think they'd be a lot snappier because the, each vignette has multiple scenes, apart from uh, apart from the very first one, which sort of has two shots, basically, or three shots, really. But the other ones are quite long. I mean, we're only mm. still talking about minutes here, but it's it's quite relaxed in the in in the pace. Um, at least the one in France, and and uh, that, that's certainly true. I think of the one in France. I mean, th- that's deliberate, of course, right? Because he's he's trying to maintain this. Um, normality until it really just falls apart. But I do think nowadays, if you did it, and even if you decided you'd have all four vignettes in it, it would be much quicker. You'd kind of go through it, or somebody would be telling the story, so you would sort of see uh, flashes, if you like, rather than the full scene play out. Hmm. I'm thinking of something. I mean, I'm not saying that it did it well, but you know, uh, like Suicide Squad was trying to introduce all those characters. Now I'm not saying. That that did no, well. I know. I know what you mean. But, yeah, but you you would be trying. You'd be sort of using a different framework a to diff- get those characters out and into the audience's brains faster. I think so. You could, uh, you know, have them all together. There are a few important details. Um, the French businessman uh, named Victor Manzon. Um, has been given a watch by his wife for their anniversary, which is inscribed on the back. 
10 years of eternity. That comes back later. And there are a couple of other details in the New Jersey story that I liked. Firstly, that at the wedding, the bride has a black eye. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then as he's escaping and the police arrive, the police officers just start pocketing the cash. <laughs> yeah, there's, there are quite a few details like that sort of in the film. Again, yeah, just, it's just this, this an extra little the, thing that doesn't the, what, really have the, anything to do with the... They're little signals that the world is already a, a dark, mean, corrupt place. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The surviving gangster, Jackie Scanlon, um, well, firstly, there's um, a meeting at a restaurant where the brother of the dead priest tells his men, you know, I, I, don't, I don't care what it takes, I want, I want you to get him. And then uh, Scanlon is met by a friend of his who owes him a favour. And for $2,000, he can get him a passport and passage to South America. So then we jump to the town in the middle of the South American jungle, absolute middle of nowhere, where all four men are working menial jobs uh, in an environment owned by a Rus uh, Russian, American oil company. Yeah. And they've all had to take false names as well. So Scanlon is going by Juan Dominguez, even though he still speaks with a New Jersey accent. Um, Banzon is now Serrano, and the Palestinian terrorist Qasim is now Martinez. Yeah. And we should have should mention at this point that um, Dominguez is played by Roy Scheider. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> who, yeah. who at this time was quite a big star. I mean, he was the lead in Jaws, which was the biggest film of all time two years earlier. Mm. had been Oscar-nominated for uh, The French Connection and yeah. would uh, later star in the most expensive TV series at that point, Sequest DSV. <laughs> that was the highlight of his career. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Yeah, I mean, it's... The thing is, the fact that he's playing uh, Wan, I, I mean, that's clearly ridiculous... And it's not like they let that play out for too long before police uh, sort of uncover this. Yeah. But even then, you know, it's they, they uncover it, take him to the police station, and go, right, well, there you go. Okay, so for every three that you earn, you give us one, understand? And then you say, yep. And it's just that, that complete complete corruption from top to bottom. Mm. And uh, But again, it's a, it's a sort of more of a uh, an adult way of, framing it like he doesn't defeat them at any point um there's a bit at the end where he's driving past the police and the police can't really do anything because he's in the company of the oil men at that point you know so that so they're defeated in that sense so that he's sort of slightly moved out of the range of their the, the, their sort of ability to be corrupt but he, that's that's all it is he's just he's he is now protected by a much more powerful force of corruption yeah, because and the, that's because the, the the one character in the film who's even remotely nice is the oil company representative, who is still recruiting people off the street for peanuts to on a, to undertake a suicide mission. Even, yeah, even if he is then nice to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I think I just think lots of things like that. It it just meant that you knew that the outcome was not going to be, you know, some big gunfight at the end. Or, 
you know, there wasn't going to be an easy solution like that. In fact, it, in fact, it's even more simple than that. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't try and trick you. It, it, it clearly sets up what the situation is, and they fo- and they follow through on it. Um, there's, there's not a, there's not a twist in that sense. There, there's kind of stuff at the end. I guess we'll talk about. But, mm. um, I, I, I enjoyed that. Again, you keep it small and you keep it kind of adult. Well, an aeroplane arrives at the nearby airfield with a single passenger. Which is the um, the Mexican hitman who's named Nilo. He bribes his way past the officials, whilst uh, Dominguez unloads the plane and peers inside the hold with an eye to making an escape. But yeah. um, he's dissuaded from it by one of the other handlers because he has no money because people in the town are paid so little by the oil company. Uh, mm. He he and he Serrano and Martinez live in a flop house um, that doesn't even have proper walls. It's it's a slum, and it doesn't even have a city attached to it. It's just a shanty town in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Nilo comes into town and takes a room from the German who runs the bar, who goes yeah. by the name Marquez, and it's implied that he is uh, an escaped Nazi war criminal. Yes, I can't remember who says it, but someone sort of says, oh, he used to be a Reichsmarshal, right? And they <laughs> Guy just looks really annoyed. Um, <laughs> Don't mention the war. Well, and then there's and then there's the other guy that you think is going to be a, a main character. Um, am I am I right in thinking that that he is also a German on the run? Which one? Because there are only two Germans that I was aware of. Um, I, I mean, I've forgotten the actor's name. Uh, oh, Carl, right, oh no, hang on, I'm getting it confused. The there's... one that was selected and is and yes. is killed by Nilo. Carlos is the bar owner. Yeah. Uh, but Marquez is a friend of Kasim's and he's the one who um, is selected to drive. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm misreading. I I thought that. So there are there are two, but it's it's it it's jumbled together slightly. Yeah. Sorry, I thought the implication was that he was he was a German on the run, and that Nilo had been targeting him. And because because when you think of Nilo, you think oh he's he's the guy that they've got uh, to get well I'll call him Juan if we want or Jackie um, so you're sort of thinking right okay well Scheider's in, in, in trouble here uh, because this is the because he dresses he's, he dresses differently and he's on a mission of some sort so you think okay there's going to be some competition force there but it's not it's not Jackie that he goes after so I, th- I thought I thought that was that was kind of a nice way of building up tension but then also bringing Nilo into the into the main action, if you yeah. like. Yeah. There are people after him and there's a hitman in town. But my interpretation was that Nilo was there to escape the consequences of, of the hit at the start of the film. He's not there for Jackie at all. Right. Because as you see at but... the end of the film, um, the mob have other means and other people. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Well, no, I think possibly you're right I, I i sort of interpreted it as that he's hunting down people but actually i suppose that that makes not as much sense because otherwise why would he be in the desperate situation that he is and have and then have to join the crew yeah your interpretation makes sense mine doesn't well that's the nice thing about the film is that it, it doesn't spend time spelling things out as i say it's it's over half an hour shorter than the previous version and has the same story 
Um, interestingly, the um, the characters do develop in an odd way in Wages of Fear because the Nilo equivalent over the course of the truck journey, uh, it becomes more obvious that he's actually a coward. Right. I thought, ah, the, the professional killer is, is secretly a coward. And I thought, well, that's very Hollywood. Whereas, yeah. whereas in this version, no, he's, he's tough. He's, he's maybe more capable of companionship than you might expect as the characters slightly warm to each other. Yeah, they, I mean, they don't spend too much time trying to make you feel for the, let's say, the causes of any of the characters. They're just no. presented as these things. Yep. Which, you know, it's, so it's not the same sort of anti-hero uh, setup that you get in other films because it just presents these vignettes of which you, you learn about various things and then they've got another job to do which makes up, I suppose, if you like, the point of the film. Mm. Um, but it's not... They don't have big discussions with each other about why they think they're right to do X, Y, and Z, mm. or you know, what about such and such. There's there's no time for any of that. Um, tiny little bits come in here and there, but but they don't have long dialogues about the meaning of the film, about yeah. about how they've escaped the sorcerer of fate. Yes, uh, yeah. There's no there's no point at which um, you know they they the have a discussion about uh, terrorism in in Palestine and um, you, you know present the the points of view of. Of, no, uh, you know those characters, or uh, you know, have discussions about greed and things like that. It's all just the vignette carries yeah. all of that, and then they're in the situation that they're in. Yeah, there's a joke where um, it mentions that Carlos was a Reichsmarschall, and um, asked Dominguez what he used to do, and he, he says he was an ice hockey player. Yes, yeah. Um, and yes, the police take him away, and um, he's forced to hand over half the a third of his pay. While at the drill head, there is suddenly a colossal explosion. Well, that's and a dangerous game. It is, it is extremely dangerous. And um, it goes back, I think, to Friedkin's ancestry as a documentary maker because that whole sequence with it burned and bleeding bodies being dragged out of the fire and buildings collapsing, it all feels very visceral and very real. Yeah, yeah. Very sort of shot on the hoof, and there's and something that is in uh, in this version, but not in the previous version, is the suspicion that it was a, a terror attack or um, deliberate sabotage. Yes, when it was it was just an accident. It's just one of those things that happens because, as you say, it's a very dangerous business. Yeah, it's a slight weak point that. Um they don't have the dynamite nearby in the event that they need to use it. <laughs> so they've got it 200 miles away and it hasn't been stored properly. But even then, they, they ha- you know, you do hear the, the American sort of oil guy talking about how difficult it is to get the trucks in and things like that, and that these are, I think he says something that they're on order, or he uses a phrase a bit like that, like essentially that this stuff is supposed to happen, which also then backs up the fact that they're trying to, they kind of, put together the two trucks out of other wrecked or rusty or mm. out of service trucks. It's not like uh it's not like here are two trucks, take them to this place. They ha they have to build them first of all. All the while the, the oil rig is um still uh it's on, on fire. fire. It's on fire. And the reason they need the explosives is um you can't 
you can't put it out with conventional firefighting. The only way to stop the fire is just to blow the whole, uh, blow the, the drill head shut with explosives and cut off the oxygen. And the only way to do that is with explosives. In the original, there is a separate um, camp for the uh, for the oil company in the town itself, and it's all quite nice, and it's a bit like a military camp. Yeah. And, and the trucks they have are in good working order and new-ish. Yeah. And the explosives are stored separately but nearby and not falling, you know, disintegrating in a shack in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. I still, I mean, I think I think this version, although you have to sort of manoeuvre yourself into the position to, or they have to manoeuvre the narrative into the position where they're all on this uh, uh, terrible journey, um, they, they do it pretty well. And, and, it, and it does, um, I'm not saying it raises the stakes because the stakes are sort of the same, but um, they have put in all the, all the pieces in place to really drive home the desperation and why, you know, these people are going to be, I mean, doing something so insanely dangerous mm. um, and so difficult. So the, a couple of the functionaries go to the explosive shack and they look inside and look in the crates and the nitroglycerine is just crumbling and the liquid nitro is actually leaching out of the sticks mm. so that the bottom of the, ca- the, bottom of the crate is wet. And he yeah. very gently pulls out his hand, goes outside, and just flings it into the the underbrush, and there's a little explosion. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was that was one drop. The, I mean, the only <laughs> the only thing I thought was that you know upon the some upon the successful completion of the mission, were it to happen, <laughs> surely you deliver that to the explosives expert at the oil well. Who then goes? I'm not touching any of this. This is insane. I don't want to deal with this. I mean, they do kind of. I mean, they deal with that narratively by the guy saying, you know, um, you know, can you use it? If we can get this to you, can you use it? And and he's just essentially saying, like, you wouldn't be able to get this. But yeah, I, I suppose I could. Um, but still, it's it's. Um, I don't know. It just it just made me. It's not funny, but you know, it just made me think. Surely there's some other person who's got a, you know an actual job. As being a demolitions guy, it's going. Oh, sorry, you're driving, you're driving leaking dynamite to me. No, thank you. No, no, <laughs> no. I, I also don't want to get blown up. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just sit this one out. Thank you. Well, that's why they they call for volunteers because they they can't take it by helicopter because the vibrations will set it off mm. because it is so volatile. Um, so they call for volunteers in the town and they offer eight thousand pesos to anyone willing to make the trip. So everyone in town volunteers. Yeah. And they're uh, they're tested by driving a truck around with a little bottle of water on the dashboard. And um Domingo's in particular is quite quite the driver as we saw at the beginning. And the American who's testing him says, "Oh, were you a teamster?" There's no greyhound. Yeah, I mean it's about as light-hearted as the film gets, really. That that little that that little part, um, where you see the different drivers, including the ones that don't know how to change gear yeah. at all, and, and there's, things like that. There's, yeah, there's a moment where someone pulls the gear lever out by accident, yeah. and 
because every everything's rotting, everything's decaying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky film to watch while, as it is right now, the weather is very hot. Yeah. I mean, it sets the scene in the same way, or you feel maybe more engaged with it, but it's when everybody's sweating and, you know, there's, you know they're all desperate to get, you know, a cold drink and all that sort of stuff. Oh, I don't know. As somebody born and raised in a much colder climate, <laughs> it, made me, it made me sort of just uncomfortable, which is, you know, great for the film, actually. Mm. And there's a nice moment where someone, they've, they've also got a bunch of people standing in the back of the truck uh, to uh, to act as um, uh, as cargo, and someone starts off and manages to stall it straight away, and half the people in the back fall out. Do you know? I know exactly the, sh- the shot you're talking about, and the, the 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 sort of sides fall off, the kind of corrugated iron sides fall, and that was the bit where I thought, oh, that's just one little bit too far. That's a little bit too farcical. Um, but but it's a bit too much like a funny car. It is. It's a bit clown car like. Um, but having said that, it, it's the only real bit of levity in the in the whole film. <laughs> yeah. So that's fine. Uh, you're sort of setting him up for a plunge into sort of desperation. Well, it ends up with um, Marquez, Martinez, Dominguez, and Serrano being chosen as the the drivers. So the 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 American, the Palestinian, the German, and the Frenchman. They uh, examine the bits of old trucks and we have a montage of them cannibalising pieces and using their technical skill to put together two very heavy-duty trucks covered in lights, winches, changing oil, putting big tyres on. But but again, that the, 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 the montage is not the kind of thing you'd be thinking. If you haven't seen the film and you're just hearing that described... It's not. It's not a montage in the fun sense, or the, or I think in some ways the the, the modern sense. It's just it's they, where they bond over the yeah, manual. Just, no, I it's, mean, it's about just, here are men doing a professional manly thing, and it makes me think much more of something like Michael Mann, who, right. whose films are much more about single-minded professionals who are very good at what they do to the exclusion of everything else. Yeah, but I suppose it's not like. Um, and again, I haven't really seen the film, so I don't. So I, I don't know. I can only tell by the way they're marketed. It's, it's not like something like the Fast and the Furious, where the no you know, the sort of car porn, if you see what I mean. It's not like oh, here's the best of this, or here's the no, no, no. Oh, we all love cars. It's just kind of like here's somebody unplugging a bit, and then it, the oil pours out because it's cracked, and then here's another bit where somebody replaces, um, you know, this thing, and you see them sort. of twist it to make sure it's it's working properly mm-hmm. here's somebody kind of trying to change gears and it's you know great great sound design and everything with those parts but again it's i thought that was really interesting so like a kind of really weirdly cold and um i, I mean it's kind of macho but it's not it's not um it's not like there's no fun to it it's just it's it's just this kind of grinding out the solution to this problem is to fix this bit and then attach that bit and then they've got to have a light here and then they need a machete and then here's them, you know, clipping the shovel onto the side and all that sort of stuff. It's not um, it's not presented as oh here's something that's really cool. Here is here is something that is practical and necessary. Yeah. Because yeah. Because when they're finished, the two trucks look like monsters. They are not in any way sleek or 
attractive. They are practical machines for a job. Yeah, there's no point where someone's like, well, to get up this hill, you're going to need this amazing engine and there's only one place we can have it. And then there's like a sort of sub-quest part of the film where they, no. they have to get like an amazing engine installed and stuff. It's just like, here's a bunch of crap, but out of this, they can you, they put can, together they can two build. things that can yeah. drive um, and that are maybe better than average, but still, you know. Even then, the, 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 sort of the journey that they have to undertake is... is obviously difficult I mean that's kind of the point but it's not and there's some bits that are very difficult but the, the bits that are very difficult tend to be because again everything's dilapidated everything's falling apart or hasn't been done properly in the first place so it's not like a film where they're like well you need to get these explosives and you need to, trans you need to take them over the Himalayas and no one's ever done that before and that's the sort of the hero mission it's kind of like here's point A it's 200 miles away you've got to get to point B everything's rubbish like everything's bad it's not all put together properly the uh you know the the terrain is not like the most extreme or the you know the coldest or the hottest or any of that sort of stuff it's just rubbish and 200 miles of rubbishness means that the odds are stacked against them of being able to complete the the whole thing mm. but again i like that I, it's it's not that the stakes are lower again it's just that that idea of um you know, they're not being chased by a T-Rex at any point. They've just got a couple of hundred miles of having to concentrate all the time, having little problems they have to solve, and the tracks are not quite wide enough and not quite good enough, and the weather turns bad at some points. But but again, it's you know they, they don't fall into that trap of, oh my God, it's the worst storm in 50 years is about to hit us, and it's going to hit you know in exactly 12 hours' time. Mm. They don't have any of those extra things. It's just, here's a bad situation... And, I mean, from the oil company's point of view, they've hired these guys to probably die. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the money they've promised is nothing to them. Um, and so it's, it, it's the idea that there's people above them throwing money at this problem and, and then you spend time with the people. Again, it, they're desperate. Um, um, the two trucks are named Lazaro and Sorcerer. And that was Friedkin's idea because he noticed that uh, trucks in the area would be painted with names. Right. That they'd be named almost like um, like old horses or, or pack animals. They'd have their own names. Yeah. So that was another inspiration for the film's title. What did you think of the music score for the film? Um, well, I, I did read up a bit of trivia about this, right? It's Tangerine Dream. Yeah. Yeah, and they didn't get to see any of the film. They just got given a, a script description um, and had just to put together music for it. Um, or, or that's what I'd read anyway. Um, I mean, I thought... Uh, I, 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 I didn't often think about music as such. I mean, I think the sound was amazing. Um, and I, I read that, you know, the, the sort of like mixed-in tiger roars with the sound of the truck... Um, but like, uh, or maybe I think one was a tiger and one was a leopard or a jaguar, right? And I can't really remember the difference between the two. But you know, so so when the trucks are kind of sputtering into life, there's a kind of it's like a, a wild it's a wild animal yeah, coming yeah, to yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, and the scrape of the metal as they're changing gears and things like that. Um, so sound wise, I thought it, I thought it was I thought it was great, and and in fact, the cinematography I thought was brilliant. Um, you know, it, you know, filming in the jungle and that sort of thing. I think. Um, 
which of course then was much more difficult perhaps than it was nowadays. You're not filming digital and all that sort of stuff. So I thought it looked really good uh, mm. as well. They um, go to the explosive shack and use a pulley to take out the crates of nitro. And already they're you're showing they're showing the 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 care and the tension from dealing with this stuff. They have to be so gentle with it. The irony mm. is it's this big tough thing, blah, 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 but they have to be absolutely like like working with postage stamps, so careful. Yeah. And they make a deal with the um with the company's representative collectively. They manage to push up the price to ten K per head plus uh, a proper passport. Well, see, the money is really inconsistent because it starts off at 8K and then they say we want double. And then later on, that uh, when uh, one truck uh, thinks they're going to make it um, exclusively, then they're going to, we're sitting on double shares, 20,000. Yeah. Well, None I, of these sums make sense. I, th- I think it's that they try to negotiate for double but wind up compromising for 10. Okay. But then... I think the idea is that they'll have 20 each because the company expects to pay 40 and they will just pay the fo- they will just split the 40 between whoever survived and whoever made it. So at the end yeah. presumably Dominguez wound up with 40k. Well that's he gets $40,000 which is the next kind of slightly weird thing. Which oh, yeah. even they draw attention to that because they're saying what can I do about this and then they're saying you take that we've got a guy who will meet you off the plane and you know take it, take you to our bank. And and um, I mean it's a minor it, it's a minor issue. I mean, but again, they all already build that sort of thing in when they're saying you only need one uh, one of these to do the job. The six um, split between three trucks, so you don't expect one truck to even make it. But also, um, you know, you could clear the whole field with uh, the explosives you've got here, so that when you know at, at the end where he's literally carrying a crate, that is enough to, for yeah. the job done. Uh, the men assemble just before dawn to set out, but Marquez is missing. And there, oh, there's an old woman who scrubs the floor in the tavern, and she gives something to Serrano, and I can't remember what it is. Is it his what? Oh, he's yes, he's paid for something with his watch earlier in the film, and she gives it back to him. She's stolen it and gives it back. All oh, right, okay. I missed that. Um, and um, so I think it's um, Martinez goes to investigate and finds that Marquez is actually dead. Uh, and it's strongly implied that he's been killed by Nilo. Yeah. So they set off with uh, Dominguez and Nilo in the first truck and um, Serrano and Martinez in the second. Dominguez taking charge. And it's 218 miles, which is an afternoon's brisk drive down the motorway. Yeah, but not through the jungle. Not through the jungle. One thing that annoyed me about Wages of Fear is, firstly, the characters don't seem to take their situation seriously enough. There's a bit too much joshing and joking about. And they also drive really quite fast. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, Because almost immediately there's a tense situation where they have to drive along a narrow ridge with the occasional rock tumbling down the side... A long mm. drop down down the other side, and they're, they're already fighting against this co- unfeeling, unforgiving landscape. Having all escaped death already, they're now gambling their lives again, and it's it feels like they're 
their daring death to come and get them. Um, there's a bit where one of the locals is jogging in front of Dominguez's truck. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like a, like a trickster figure, almost. Uh, and turns around jogging backwards, is waving and cheering, and Dominguez is yelling at him to get out of the way. Um, they come to a wooden bridge, which is dis- almost disintegrates as they drive over it, and a wheel goes through, um, and it starts to rain. Uh, they get to a, it, it, from here. It's really just like a succession of of obstacles, succession of yeah. problems they've got to overcome. The rainstorm with a fork in the road and an old man. They try to ask for directions. Yes, he tells them that the, the whole place is dead. Yeah. And they just dismiss it's crazy. Everybody goes crazy, or is crazy. That's the thing. But again, it, again, it's it's although it's sort of dramatic, and obviously they they are, you know, in, in desperate situations. It's there. There is still a bit of restraint there. It's not like, well, as I said before, it's not like anybody goes, yeah, but the the worst storm. No. That this region has seen in fifty years is about to hit. It's it, again. It's like oh, there's there's. 200 plus miles of difficult like it's rubbish. Of, of difficult it, it's very difficult obstacles. but it's yeah but you're not doing anything that, pioneering as such you're just grinding it out you're just sort of getting the distance under the wheels and it's you know. it's all believable it's all re- yeah. it's all realistic that the roads would be this badly maintained that, that that a tree could have collapsed across the road and no one would have noticed because the roads are never used yeah um that Maybe there is a whole town that's died because of cholera or or some other reason. Yes. And there's just like an old man left in the jungle city by the side of the road waiting to die. Dominguez and Serrano argue over which fork to take, um, about whether they should follow the map or not. And they wind up taking the wrong route and head for the world's ricketiest bridge. Uh, well, yes. That, which is, I mean, that's a great um, prop. I mean, really, but but, yeah. I mean, that's that is that was brilliantly well done. I thought. Um, Again, nowadays, if you made it, you, the temptation would, of course, you'd be doing everything with CGI. But then the, te- the then the temptation is also just to go bigger and bigger and bigger because you can because it's still costing you just however much money per minute to do it, to do it in a computer. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that it doesn't involve a huge amount of effort, but it just again slightly smaller scale. And it just like it looks dreadful, and it's um... and they they have to inch across this thing where they've we we've seen that further up river, like uh, a hut and some trees have been caught up in the in the flood and are being washed down river. Yeah, because you see that when they're when they're on the I mean when they're on the bridge, you just see bits going past all the time, and you know obviously they were standing there with hoses and flooding things down and. Um, you know the big sprays to make it to make it rain, but even then it's it's um, it's very extreme without being completely ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's unrelenting rain, um, but it, but it's heavier than the usual Hollywood style of oh it's quite rainy. You, you, you know even yeah. just nowadays I I feel that, that you know you get again in blockbusters and things like that. Of course you can tell when it's not really real rain. But you can even tell that the the rain that they're producing in the studio on the stage, or or you know, or even out on location, it's not it's not that much of a problem. I mean, of course, it's going to be warm and things like that as well. Yeah, I'm sure for the actors' benefits. But this really does seem, even if it was warm, 
like it's just it's just sort of everything's turned up to live in a bit <laughs> to make to just to make it seem really really bad without being cartoonishly hellish you know because if it if it if it went too far then you would just think well i i couldn't really buy into this situation because it's just so difficult that it now seems like a, a fairy tale because this just seems like something that is in some sense realistic but just really really difficult mm. as they're going across um serrano drives and martinez navigates as, as he tries to sort of avoid the worst uh, broken wood and there's a moment where martinez falls through and there's a very quick cut to black mm. um to, almost like to suggest briefly that he's been killed but he's he manages to drag himself out and then as serrano's leading out of the cab suddenly the tree that was washed down river is washed against the side of the bridge and the side of the cab and there's a music sting like a jump scare mm. like Michael Myers has suddenly appeared no, a tree has suddenly appeared yeah yeah and they managed to just make it past uh, and the there's a very fast cut at the end of the sequence as the the tyres are just starting to bite and the dirt on the other side and it pulled the, the truck pulls itself back onto land just as the ropes break and the bridge completely collapses. And then there's a very well, and I, then there's I, a very fast cut to the next scene. Well, I would say you don't even know that they're safe because because it's so it's so quick that you kind of know okay the front tires are on, but the back tires are still on the bridge, and you don't quite know whether the they were pro- because the truck moves forward. It comes back a little bit and then seems to be about to go forward again. And then you've got the, the break of the bridge, then the cut. So you don't, you don't even really know whether, you know, they got the momentum in time, whether they were actually making forward progress and are definitely safe. But because, you know, because, as you say, it, it cuts and then you're onto something different and you don't find out their fate until later. Mm. Um. The next obstacle they find is that a a huge tree has fallen across the road, uh, which Nilo greets by laughing hysterically. And Dominguez responds by by trying to feebly chop his way through the foliage off the Mm. side of the road, as if he can create a new path. Yeah, well, there's a bit where you say we just need to cut down eight trees. Yeah, (laughs) but you also... There's there's all the roots and the stumps and it has to be as smooth as you can possibly make it. It's not just a yeah, matter yeah. of creating a path. You've got to create. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be like glass. Yeah, but again, that's that's I think what what's really good is this idea that the uh, uh, the hero um, sort of flounders at that point, um, and he doesn't solve it by digging deep within himself and just believing a bit harder. Um, it's so- the other people on the team are the ones that have to go. So you can't. That makes no sense. And then, uh, then there is a solution presented. And so, and it's you know the the hero does fail at that point. He he. I mean, he then succeeds later on. But there is a point where it's like, well, he wouldn't have got through this on his own. No, they ha- they because he, they have to work. He's lost. They have to work as a group because they the the whole point of the mission is that it's it's drawing on each of their knowledge. Yeah, and each of their their skill and their courage this is a point where 
Dominguez can't move further. But Martinez says, I have an idea. As he would mm. because he's the explosives guy. And the idea they have is to use some of the nitro to blow up the tree. And they and again, like with the uh putting the trucks together earlier, we have this sort of montage sequence of them all working separately and putting together this little rig and this whole arrangement of how to set up um a bomb. Mm. And it's not explained what they're doing, and they don't talk to each other. It's only at the end when we actually see them all set it off. Yes. By like poking at, by having very carefully putting one of the bags of explosives on there and poking a tiny little hole so that the the liquid can run out. And they've got some rocks rigged up and a little thing with a rock dangling from it and a bit of string and a candle and and all this stuff like a mm. Heath Robinson machinery. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, because it it does take a while to, to understand what they're doing. Because I thought, well, okay, they've they made the reveal that Nilo has the gun, so I was like, okay, so they'll shoot it and they'll set it off that way. And then when he was doing the sandbag, I thought this seems needlessly complicated. But it does come together in a, in, in a proper way. But as you say, they don't speak about it. Um, they they don't they don't all run off as a team. That's the other thing. It's not like they go, all right, it's set, and then they, you know. Mm. You know, in a cool, you know, action scene, slow mo, they run away. It, I mean, they do sensible things. It's like, okay, well, that, you know, once that's set up, they back the trucks up, not just a little bit, but a lot. Like they just go with the trucks, you know. Yeah. And uh, Serrano runs away, like away, away. And and even uh, Kareem, who's, um, uh, you know, setting it off, he doesn't just like run round the next tree. Like he runs and then keeps running and runs through the forest for a bit. You know, and he's he's and then runs some more, and then continues yeah. to run. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean that this sequ- and again in that in that in that sense, it's it's much more realistic. It's not a bunch of action heroes standing watching the explosives. It's a bunch of people going, "Well, just get out of the entire area completely, don't and don't go back to it." You know, just um, mm. yeah. I thought that in, in that aspect, I thought it was the again again. You, Small scale in some sense. If you bring everything in, it's a lot more tense. In the in the in Wages of Fear, uh, because it's mostly set out in the desert rather than the jungle, it's a huge rock that's blocking the road, and yeah. they have to uh, reverse around the side of the hill. But then they have the fear that the bits of rock blasted up into the air will then land on the trucks and set off the nitro or the little. Shake a, a rock slide, and rocks from the from the the hillside will hit the trucks. Yeah, but that's not the yeah. that's not the case in this version. That's there's sort of an added wrinkle that they could have that they didn't in that environment. But again, by this point, the Nilo character is basically just a cowering jelly, because I, I don't know. Well, yes, it, cause, it, because yes. because it's it's not actually that great a film, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, yes, he's he's kind of gone a bit mad, but he too it, later on he it's his skill that um, proves useful in a, in a later sequence. Oh yes, I mean it's it's definitely a good team film in the sense that the the characteristics or the skills that they've got are displayed in ways that don't immediately relate to the plot, and so when you bring them back in, it's not like. Oh, and out of nowhere, I can do this, this, and this. You've already seen them 
being displayed or talked about or mm. being the reason that they're in the situation they're in. So when they deploy those skills to, to solve a situation, uh, it, it's... Well, I, I was going to say it, it feels earned, but you don't even... It's not like they even have to really earn it because, I mean, I mean it's earned in a sort of crafting the film sort of way, but you, you, you know those characters have those skills. So it, it seems natural that they deploy them properly. Mm. So, yeah, they they set off the explosive and once the, the the dust and the debris is cleared, there is a huge gap. And this, this giant tree that was you know, six feet across has now been cleared sufficiently that they can drive the trucks through. Um, they're now driving us along a, an upper ridge area and there are birds of prey and vultures starting to fly around as well. Mm. And... Um, Martinez mentions to uh, Serrano that he's actually been to Paris, I think. They, they, they talk about Paris and they seem a bit too relaxed, I feel. Uh, yes. I think it's, it's almost like the, uh, the, the, yeah, the cop mentioning he's only got three days to retirement. A little, a little. Although it's, I mean, it's handled fairly well, I think, because um, it's not like... They don't make an they don't make a mistake as such. The tire blows out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, just, and then the, just, at that moment, Serrano looks at his watch to the, for the time. He says, "Ah, oh, it's eight fifty-five in Paris." And then the tire the tire blows out. The truck swerves across the uh, the road. It goes over the side. We see the um, boxes of nitro. Where they've, where they've been packed in sawdust, they tumble forward, and then bang, the whole thing just suddenly goes up. And that whole sequence is five seconds. If, yeah, yeah. if that. It, is, yeah, it yeah. is so fast. And they're dead. Just like that. Yeah. And it's... It's it's tough, I think. I mean, it's, it's tough that these characters who we might have grown to like in a way that, that we've seen different sides to them, they are so so quickly and so seemingly thoughtlessly killed and it's yeah. it's it's a shock i feel if if you if you weren't ready for it particularly if you're watching it in the context of the uh, more recent storytelling styles where you'd feel that there would be more um more build up to it or more fallout to it but no it's just yeah. very very fast yes yeah Although it's interesting, I mean, they, when the others encounter that, there's a shot where you can see a body with a machine gun on the side of the hill, which is interesting. I think that connects to the next sequence with the bandits. Yeah, but I, I just, I just wonder what the, what the setup of that was. Is, is that the, the bandits shoot out the tire, and that causes this problem, and also one of them gets caught up in it. It's it's just an it's just oh, yes. a, it might it, it might be that they they kind of didn't they couldn't find a way to fit that together in editing but it's just interesting you see the uh, you see a shot and there's 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 clearly a body there with a, a sort of AK forty seven type of uh, type of thing and then the rest of the truck as well and you don't see the bodies of the characters you see a sort of flow of blood at one point mm. um, but then when the others encounter it and then you have the encounter with the bandits. Yeah, it just it just um it's the implication there that the bandits deliberately shot out the tire because they think it might be carrying of course um supplies or whatever yes. 
So Nilo and um, Dominguez see the explosion and realise they're alone. In the original film, uh, the two equivalent characters just see the explosion. There is no explanation as to what happened. Right. Which does feel like an odd choice for that film. That Oh yeah, yeah, it's like something went wrong. It's uh, it, it just feels unsatisfactory. I couldn't quite work out... I mean, this is one of these things that I get really kind of annoyed not annoyed by in this case but but i sort of find myself thinking about all the time i couldn't quite work out the geometry of that what those shots were showing me because it seemed to be they were looking at the well they were refueling i guess or pouring water into the radiator but in the way that they looked off screen it's that kind of rule of 180 isn't it yeah Um, you know it looked to me as if they were looking back and so I was quite surprised when they then they then drove past that and 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 saw it. I thought that was behind them that they, that the other truck was essentially following them up and they were the leads, and uh, and and the and the truck behind got blown up. Well, that was that was what I was thinking. So maybe the rocks slide ahead with the the dead machine gun, and maybe that's entirely unrelated. Maybe I mean maybe the I mean maybe, I suppose so. maybe the, maybe the rock slide is there as a kind of um, a roadblock to stop trucks getting by. So that yeah. the bandits can attack, uh, possibly. I mean, it just seemed—it just seemed, uh, with the direction of the way that they were looking, as in the character's gaze was the way they, they're looking, the angle that they're looking, and then the shot, I guess, from behind them looking ahead to where the explosion was. But the way that that's framed made it seem as if they were looking back down the track. Yes, that—that that was my understanding. That—that yeah. that the other that the, the truck that exploded was behind them. Yeah. But. Because again, I mean, what you're saying, you know, in the, in the other one where you don't get any explanation at all, yeah, you've got to be very careful with that because, on the one hand, it could be somewhat unsatisfying because you just don't get an explanation mm. unless you've really laid the groundwork for like it being a really quite uh, not nihilistic, but like a really a, a very um, a very dark film indeed. Where if you were following one point of view character very very closely. That this would just be another thing. Sorry, that, that doesn't well, no, make any no, more sense. No, no, but because that's that's, that's what the original film's like. Because the original film is very focused on the main character, mm. uh, the Roy Scheider counterpart, played by Yves Montand. Um, whereas this is more of an ensemble, or it's or it's leaning to more towards being an ensemble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So having oh yeah, the other truck blew up. It it you know it, no, I want to know what happened with with that. You know what. Did, did a tire blow out? Did something else happen? Did a rock yeah. hit them? What? Yeah. Whereas here, because there's been a much more equal level of focus, mm. um, just having that quick moment of tire blew out and they went over the cliff and the the nitro went off. Yeah. That's all. I it mean, needs. another another way to do it might be if you had. I mean, I'm thinking of you know a different, wholly now invented film, where whereby there was some sort of time constraint or the the you know, the end was in sight or, you know, they knew they were being chased or something like that, then you could you could frame it in a different way whereby the fact that they, um, you know, they find the, destro- the destroyed truck and then, you know, normally you would either investigate or you would stop and have a think or maybe even try and bury the bodies or something, but they're prevented from doing that because actually they, they must drive onwards and, and you know, they, they in some sense sort of leave a bit of the humanity behind because they can't stop to worry about the deaths of other uh, people. Mm. That's a, that's maybe another way of doing it, where they're just pushed forward or, or being dragged forward, perhaps. Um, 
Well, that uh, and what I'm saying is we could do it. We could do another remake, <laughs> and just and very similar. We just tweak little bits and bobs. Well, in in Sorcerer, that idea comes across in that you know, these are these are manly, serious, professional men. They're not going to waste time and effort mourning the deaths of uh, Serrano and Martinez. That's they they're probably sad about it, but that's not going to help. That's not going to help them do their job. They're just going to yeah, they're just going to get on with the task in hand, and they'll think about it later. Yeah, but however, Nilo and Dominguez are immediately set upon by bandits who want to uh, steal whatever supplies they might have. Nilo shams illness, whilst uh, one of the bandits looks in the back of the truck, and when he sees that it's explosives, it's enough of a distraction for Nilo to shoot the others. Um, but he is shot by the bandit at the back of the truck, whom Dominguez then kills with his shovel. And that's the one time I think that the shovel actually gets used because it's there's a nice shot at the when they're putting the truck together of it being clipped into the side of the chassis, and this is the yeah. only time he ever uses it as a weapon. Yeah, it's um, again you're sort of, you're bringing things to a conclusion because you know that you can't have you can't really have the last bit just be and then we kept driving and then we no it has to, it, know, it has to be right down to the wire. Yes, yeah, and so when Nilo gets shot. Again, even even even, perhaps then you're you're playing into tropes, and and now I think we certainly would have this thing of well, he's only been shot in the stomach, so that means he can probably live for another twenty minutes of screen time at least, you know, to get to get him help. But you know, he but, he just runs out of time. Yeah, he's uh, he he's laying in the footwell of the truck as they carry on driving, as they the sun sets, and it feels like they're driving through limbo, almost like this moon like. Landscape. Well, that's the bit. That's the bit where it gets a little bit uh, sort of seventies um, freaky, where you have this sort of. Um, it's supposed to be a sort of reflection in the in the in the, the windscreen, yeah, or the windshield, but it's kind of like an overlay of, you, you know, the the imagery, and it all becomes a bit, and everything's blue and purple, and there's a few bits of lightning and things like that, and that's where it becomes a bit. Um, uh, I mean, I don't really know what they. I don't know what the term would be. Fant- fant- Phantasmagorical. Yeah, I guess so. I think that is the right the right way of thinking about it. But um, again, they don't overplay it too much. But it's slightly different in tone. Yeah, well, it's at that it, point. it's the it's the stress of the situation is finally getting to Domingo's. That two men are dead, one's dying. That he's the only one left who can make it, and he's going to be on his own driving through the middle of nowhere with. A truck full of explosives, and it's pushing him over the edge. And in fact, he is still talking to uh, Nilo and hearing his laughter as the yeah. o- the audience sees that Nilo has in fact now died. Yeah, he's also talking to the, the guy that sent him, uh, you know, that owed him the favor and sent him yeah. to this place. And I and I actually thought thought, oh, that would a different way of doing it would be that's the bit where you find you have a flashback to find out why he's there because he keeps saying that thing of you know what do you mean you don't know where it is you know because he's just he's just somewhere he's been sent off somewhere and I thought oh, that that uh, yeah a different way of doing it would be to that's that's the point where you get some uh, backstory and I think it, under those circumstances you would want maybe the backstory to be a bit more he did some, I mean obviously robbing people is not right but you know he He's doing. He'd done something wrong that got him exiled there. Wrong in the in a sort of more narrative sense, I guess. 
um, and that there's something redemptive about oh. completing this job, not just not just helping himself. You um, you want the his completion of the mission to be a save the cat moment, the thing that makes him a, a, a redeemable character. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I because I think you could. I think what you could have done, you could really have started with him being in the bar, or at, you know, or maybe waking up in the flop house from the dream, and you not knowing what his backstory is but obviously it's becoming clear that you know he's stuck in this place but you don't know why he he did it you know what i'm thinking of is uh, i mean it's not the same but you, uh, you know the film the machinist with christian bale yes where it's at the end that you find out why he uh he can't sleep and it turns out it's because he did something terrible and it's terrible, even within the context of the like a like a like a dark film. It's it's it, yes, it's, but it's but, bad. But in that context, the the thing he did was an accident. It wasn't a deliberate act. Uh, well, well, to to try to, avoid, try to the, avoid spoilers. Of course, of course. So, well, in, in that case, he there is an accident, but the moral moral problem is he doesn't take responsibility for it and he runs away. Yes. So I I think and I think that's a great. Framing again. I'm, I'm talking now. I'm you know I'm just waffling now about an imaginary other film mm. you could have made. But I I think that's the bit where you could have had a, a flashback to the fact that he's in this situation and really suffering and has gone through all of the suffering, not just because he's in an unfortunate situation. There there was a moral issue that got him there in the first place, and and the 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 journey has become a, a bit of a trial. So it's not just well if he gets this then he gets money then he gets to go back to his life or a different life or something like that mm. um you know there'll be a, a sense of you know that the, the character has been transformed by the suffering um but uh, of course that'd be a different film but the, the the film that i think freakin wants to tell is all these four characters have been marked for death for whatever reason and this is the way by which they will be killed this mission is 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 the way they will die yeah i i, I think the only difficulty I had with that is that when they're talking about uh, wh- wh- when Jackie is getting sent away, and I think that's quite cool, that idea of, well, I, I don't know, although maybe it turns out not to be true, but uh, that idea of, you know, when he's saying, what do you mean you don't know where, you know, where I'm going? Um, you, you learn that he doesn't carry a gun. That's the thing, he's, he, they're talking about the, 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 the priest being shot, yeah. and he's saying, oh, come on, you know I don't carry a pistol. He's the He's the driver. So I think it's slightly different. Like he hasn't really. I, I mean, obviously, again, robbing people is not right, but because he's robbing, uh, you know, dirty money, and he doesn't cause the the fight that that causes the car to crash. It's a slight, I think, mismatch there because he he goes through all the suffering in a way that's not really his fault, if you see what but, I mean. But he was still part of it. He was. Yes. He, he was still part of it from from right from the get go. Yeah, but what he was part of was robbing bad people. Yeah, and being caught up by other bad people, but not displaying any badness himself. That's mm, that, that, <laughs> apart from robbing people. That that, but, that is know. a cigarette paper thin distinction. I I feel. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but the the point is that. He survived. He survived the the crash where he's supposed to have died. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serrano uh, escaped from France when his partner died. Um, Martinez 
should have died along with his the rest of his cell. And um, Nilo is himself an instrument of death, and so it it, it, it yes, feels logical that that would come around on him. They have all been marked for death in some way through some means, and this is how the sorcerer of fate is going to bring about their death. Yes, yeah. I, I, I su- yeah, I suppose you, you could argue that that he didn't cheat or you know or or directly kill, and so he deserves to suffer, but but make it through. Just maybe yes, but um, with two miles to go, the truck suddenly completely conks out. Yeah, uh, and he hears Nilo's laughter as he looks down at his dead face, and the picture cuts to black again. As slowly stumbling out of the dark, we see Dominguez carrying a single crate, like a zombie, and. The light we see is actually coming from the fire at the oil well. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's always brilliant, right? Have everything dark and and just lit up by flame. Yeah, is uh, is always pretty good. And he he's he's stuck. He just is totally focused on the fire. Is walking towards it, dead on his feet. And you have men in uh, flameproof suits come over and very carefully take the crate away. But he just carries on walking, and eventually just collapses to the ground. Mm. And that's a direct lift from the end of Wages of Fear, where with, uh, right. Monton's character has the, the the box taken away, and he just carries on walking to the fire until he just collapses. Um, and at this point, the two films diverge completely. Um, Wages of Fear ends the following day. Um, the main character is he's fine now. Right. Yeah, he's okay. like, oh, oof, well, that was that was tough. Phew. Well, here's your yeah. well, and they say, well, here's your money, and here's your passport, and what have you, and um, we can we can give you a lift back to town. Oh no, don't worry, I'll drive back to town. So he dri- starts driving back to town in the truck because he met, he's made it the whole way in the truck, and um, he's very jovially weaving all over the road as <clears throat> the people in the town are dancing because they've heard that he's made it, and his girlfriend is dancing with the local barkeep, and suddenly she collapses in a fit of vapors as um, he loses control of the truck and goes over a cliff and dies. Right. And that's the end, and that's the end of the film. I thought, that's really disappointing. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I, but I, I can see what in, you... In particular, the, it's, again, it's very Hollywood because he, he has a beautiful girlfriend back in town who works at the local bar, and the, yes. and the equivalent character in Sorcerer is a rattled old hag. Who yeah, who I mean, who, who mops the floor in the bar and who Dominguez is nice to? He's, I suppose he's slightly nice at the end. But I yeah, think he's that nice. Otherwise, is he? Well, he's, he's kind of irrelevant to the end. And in fact, even even when you say being nice uh, at the end, he asks her to dance. He asks her to dance, <laughs> and and which is a nice thing to do. Yes, I suppose. Yeah. Um, um, no, I I think the, the the ending here is superior. Yeah. For sure, because he's. But also, I think I think it's quite good because you're still tense even before the last little bit. You're still tense that, well, you know that their, their lives mean nothing to these, to to either the the military or the police or the the oil guys really, and so certainly I was kind of watching that thing, especially when they give to the check. Uh, you know, it's not like he gets cash; he gets the check, and then they're saying, "Oh, well, you have to go to here," and blah blah blah. You sort of think, oh, if this was like a Licari film, that's the point at which you'd realise 
oh, he's he's definitely dead. Mm. They'll, they'll kill him rather than pay out or reveal anything. And I think the only thing that diffuses that is when he gives them, uh, when the oil guy gives him Serrano's uh, letter to his wife. Yes. And then you think, oh, well, you wouldn't necessarily give them that if you were trying to, uh, you, you know, bump them off. But even then it might just be, well, we're getting rid of everything that has anything to do with this mission. Um, so, you know, we don't have anything in our position and we'll just... Well, on top of that, um, the oil man also offers uh, Dominguez a permanent job as a driver. Yeah. Um, and um, he says he's going to think about it. And presumably it would be like, just like driving people or machinery. Sure, yeah. And then also, I mean, the oil, I mean, the oil guy says himself that, you know, you know, six months he'll be somewhere else or doing something else, or, or might be, why not? You know, they are, they are visitors to this country, they're there to exploit and then then leaves. Mm. Because he, he, he tells them that he should go to Nicaragua. And uh, Jackie says, oh no, that's no good for me. And I think the old guy says to them, no, you know, there's some nice stuff there. And he's just like, well, not, not for me. Which I don't know whether you then think, well, does that mean he's going to try and make a return to America, or is he going to live out his life here? It doesn't seem like he. It's not like he has an affection for where he is. Well, he could stay in the country but move to a nicer area. I mean, if it's somewhere like Colombia, then he could move to um, Bogota or Cartagena and parlay par- par- yeah, par- you... something more comfortable. Oh, sure. You just you don't you don't know you don't know what. Uh, it's it, and again, it, it it goes back to that you know keeping the scale small. It's not like he hasn't had some heart to heart where he says like if I could only have the money, then I'd buy this farm and such and such yeah. and retire here. Or there's a place by the beach that I know I want to go. It's it's just like well, you've done the thing that that you were supposed to. You've got the reward in theory, and that and now you've still got fifty years of life ahead. Yeah, he's got. He now has the the means to escape this bad situation he's in. And find something that's more tolerable and livable. Yeah. So he might he might go off and end up you know working as a labourer somewhere, or he might buy property in Mexico and live there. But it, it, he's going to have to stay living under the radar. But at least he can yeah. do it without having to drive trucks full of explosives and sleep in a flop house. Yes, that's it. Because you know the the, the reward is not like oh, here's ten million dollars. I mean, the forty thousand is obviously more then than it is now, but it's not, and and it's transformational, of course. But it's not, it's not like, well, you know, you were you were competing to see who could get the world's largest diamond or something no, it's, like it's, that. No, it's it's, that, it's that, not untold riches, but it's 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 enough to start a decent life, particularly in that yeah, particularly so in that part of the world. It's a new life for him. Yeah, yeah, it's a new it, yeah, it's transformational. Yeah. So while he sits in the bar and is mulling things over. He asks the cleaner if she'd like to dance, um, which is his, his one act of proper tenderness throughout the film. Yeah. Um, as the camera pans out to the street outside and a taxi pulls up and out of the taxi get his contact from New Jersey and the mob enforcer who was told to hunt him down. Yeah. And they walk into the bar and just before the picture cuts to black, there's the sound of a gunshot. Is it a gunshot? Yes. Okay. And then that's then cuts to black, end credits. 
I mean, there's a bang. I was because I was listening. I was thinking, is is it supposed to be a gunshot? I thought I thought it was just. Well, again, maybe ambiguity is the point, but um, yeah, it's a good little. I mean, again, it's that it's that sort of noir aspect of things that you don't really win. You might survive, or or or, or moreover, that the, the system is corrupt and the system continues regardless of whatever the story contains. Yeah. Um, you know, there's only there's only a small victory in amongst a sort of much larger uh, sort of falling apart well, of corruption. Well, was there was there even any kind of victory at all? Because all four men are dead. The only victory is for the oil company because their fire's been put out. Oh no! I just well, the the only victory is in the sense that they achieved a particular task given. There's there's a an objective has been met, mm. but it's not a victory in a in a bigger sense. It's just a it's just a sort of a waypoint. But that was. That was uh, how Dominguez finally uh, was brought low by the sorcerer of fate. He was not destined to die driving the truck. He was destined to die as a result of his actions right at the start. He was always marked for death, just as the others were. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it ends in a very pleasing uh, closing of the loop in that way, rather than, oh, he gets a bit too overexcited and drives off the road and dies. No, it's he was. All, this was always going to happen. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I th- yeah. It's, it's definitely a better end than. Yeah, <laughs> dying in the vehicle. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. There was, uh, in fact, a remake in the fifties, uh, in the US called Violent Road, um, in which um, I believe all the ca- uh, I think of the four characters, three actually live at the end. Right. Which I think misses the point of the entire story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think you've got to commit one way or the other. It's either going to be a, they've either got to come together as a team, and the team, you know, the teamwork helps them through everything, or it's got to be that kind of, as you say, it's fate that that they are destined to die. Um, yeah, I think you've got to go with one or the other. I, I don't think you can mix in. I don't think you can do half. Mm. Of one of those, I think it just it would feel cheap one way or the other. So I think it's a superb film overall. It's very tense. I think it's very engaging. I like it as an existential thriller of thinking about uh, the, the characters' progress through life. That they have gone from positions of perhaps authority, wealth, comfort to this final stage in their lives um, I I think the, the performances are excellent, I think the characters are fascinating, it, as you say it looks beautiful and um, I've written at the end of my notes by their own acts they created their own destinies they can never be far or fast enough to escape yourself yes, <laughs> I can see that you're thinking about that <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean you're you're right. I think, uh, yeah, making a thriller is tough if you want to make it last beyond when you leave the cinema in the mind of the the, the viewer. Mm. You know, again, you know, you can go bigger and you can make very cool set pieces and things, but um, I think if you want people to really think about it or, or to affect them, uh, you've got to do it pretty carefully. And you think this manages it? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I mean because it's not, um, you know, it, it, 
there are lots of traps that it avoids. There are lots of well put together things that that could sort of unbalance the films. I think uh, unbalance the film. I think um, and it, and avoids that sort of thing. It it doesn't. Um, as I say, it's just lots of lots of little things add up to to what is a I think a very good film, um, where. Again, Roy Scheider being definitely the the the, the main guy. Yeah, it, it is it is I think one. It's not even a problem because you know how else perhaps would the film have been made? Or of course he then had another big long career and there's all sorts of things. So of, of course he's definitely a lot bigger in the mind now. So, so you know some of this is looking back different things get magnified but it would be interesting if you had four people of really equal billing and you had no idea who would survive and you had no idea who the main person was supposed to be hmm. is maybe one thing uh, that, that you could do to change it and there's maybe tiny other little bits but overall yeah I think you know, I was really happy to have seen it and hadn't heard of it at all and um, knew nothing going into it which I think uh was a good, you know, was satisfying because you're watching this um, uh, thing. It's, it is in some ways very 70s, but um, sort of a lost treasure. Mm. Thanks to Ed for making time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Acast with over 80 episodes available. So please download, review and subscribe. We're also on Twitter at cinema underscore limbo and Podnose is also on Patreon so please pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. However, until next time, drive carefully. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network. So please visit us at www.podnose.com. Thank you.